Uh, if this is your first time at Fathom, we just want to welcome you. It, we really hope today's a, a special day for you as you encounter um, a God who loves you so deeply. And maybe you've known that. Maybe you, you experienced that today in just a fresh way. Um, that there's this scandal of grace that uh, we don't deserve it. But he came and, and he finds us right where we're at. And so I'm so thankful for that. Thankful that you're here. This is your first time at Fathom. We just want to tell you, Welcome home. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, it's been a crazy week for me. Uh, it's been, I, I, I broke a tooth off. To make matters worse, I swallowed that same tooth. I was super paranoid. <laughs> I was going to cut open my intestines and I was just going to be bleeding internally. Got, yeah, but they're sharp, you know. Uh, got nailed from behind, rear-ended yesterday. But I, I'm like so full of joy and like not even worried about the tooth that's probably still inside my body or my car that's a mess. Um, the joy of the Lord is just so present and I uh, hope that's with you as well. And just, I'm looking forward to diving into the word. We've been in this series called Elephant in the Family Room and really talking about the whole idea of like an elephant in the family room is this big thing that probably we should be recognizing, should be talking about, but we're not. We've talked about anger and kind of biblically looked at at its presence in our life and what we should, how we should be handling that. And in comparison, last week we took a one-week break to do storytellers and baptisms. Wasn't last week just amazing? That was just awesome, just a powerful day just to celebrate. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right to celebrate. Yeah, it was an amazing day just to celebrate with folks and just watch what God's doing. There's so much more that happened too that we didn't even get to talk about. Uh, And then today, I, I really want to just dive into the text, just skip all the beating around the bush. I just want to dive into Ephesians chapter 6. And it talks about the armor of God. And if you grew up in church, um, you probably remember like these little felt boards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, I I vaguely remember them. It's been so long ago. And I I just saw them when I was a little kid. But for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, it was like this little way for like a Sunday school teacher to illustrate what the scripture teaching to make it really practical for kids. Just a little illustration. And so that's like all visually I've ever had in my mind when it comes to the armor of God because everything's so visual. Like, um, and, and as we're talking about the elephant in the room, today I really want to unpack like a, a, and talk about a really big elephant that I feel like we're not um, maybe engaging in or understanding. And it's something that you're already in the middle of. I'm not calling you to step into something. I'm, I'm kind of saying, hey, like, we need to wake up, we're in the middle of it. Um, and there's really a lot of different, kind of what can seemingly be little elephants that grow to be really big elephants. I want to talk about the battle of the unseen. I want to talk about spiritual battle and spiritual warfare. And that's sometimes a, a scary thing for us to even open our minds and hearts. Uh, but the scriptures teach us plainly about it. Uh, it's important that we kind of open our eyes to the battle that we're in. In, that it's not all about kind of the battles that we're f- facing in the flesh and blood. So uh, we'll talk and we'll kind of begin to, to talk about each one of these pieces of the armor and some different elephants that are really, we're, we're fighting in our life. We're fighting in our life. So finally, be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, Paul's been pouring into the church at Ephesus through this letter, just lots of uh, basic Christian teaching about who Jesus is, about who we are in Christ, and who we are as the body of Christ, and, and marriage, and unity, and, and so many different things, and he's kind of wrapping up his letter. 
And it's, it's with this idea of clothing ourselves, of putting on Christ. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Don't move anywhere yet, text-wise. Don't, yep, go back. Yep, yep, back. <laughs> uh, finally, be strong in the Lord. And this is the, the verse 10. Like it, We won't talk about verse 10 a whole lot. But it's the foundation for everything else we're going to talk about. So it's important that you grab a hold of this. Because most of us will do it in our own power when we're trying to grow in the Lord, when we're trying to mature, when we're trying to fight the battle, we're doing it in our own power. If we're just really honest about what's going on in our life, whether it's marriage problems, whether it's problems at work, uh, if, if it's sin problems, things that have us captive, um, if it's doubt, if it's fear, whatever it might be, if it's jealousy, if it's rage, most of the time, we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're trying to do it in our own power and not in his mighty power, which is unlimited. <laughs> unlimited. We have very limited strength and power. His is unlimited. And he says this, put on, we're going to come back to this word, put on, because Paul uses it in other places. Put on the full armor of God. The idea of the, the kind of meaning of this Greek word, put on, is, speaks of permanence. So, when we talk about putting on armor of God, we can kind of think of each day, I need to put this on. But this is a matter of like, hey, don't take it off. Put this on, keep it on, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This, the idea of stand here is to like stand firm against critical attack. There's all these military terms, and that's why we use the term spiritual warfare, because there's all these military terms, and there's this battle that's going on. So that you can stand against the devil, devil's schemes. There's so much going on that we don't see. And that's what the next verse is, is going to say. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. For many of us, we've read this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And then, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We'll take that first part and say, okay, the battle's not against flesh and blood. And then we'll start saying, nope, it's against all these things that are flesh and blood. But we're missing, if we go and begin to like fight all these battles against flesh and blood, we're fighting on the wrong battlefield. I, I think about when I was a, a, a kid um, and I was uh, playing football and we always had to ride the bus. And I can only imagine that some kid, it never happened for me, but if I were to just take the bus to the complete wrong school, I looked at the schedule wrong, some of you have done this with uh, a job interview or with sport, and, and you, you, you took the, the, the schedule or whatever it was, and you ended up at the wrong place, and you ended up on the wrong battlefield. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're doing many times is when we think that the battle is all through the flesh and blood, and, and what he's saying is that it's not. It's not against the flesh and blood. Therefore, put on the full armor. He comes back to you. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything um, to stand and then verse 14 begins, and that's where we're going to begin to, to dig in here. So that's kind of the foundation for what we're talking about. And we've got to grab a hold of the first, the first key to this, is that the power comes from the Lord. It's not in ourselves. Um, this isn't, again, this is not uh, an opportunity for Paul to tell us, hey, come get out on the battlefield. Paul's saying, wake up. You're in a battlefield. And many of us, like, we've just going through, through, through life and, and we're not really attuned spiritually on a daily basis. Like, we'll tune in for a little bit on Sunday morning. 
We'll tune in for a little bit when we open our scriptures. But on a daily basis, we're, we're not realizing that we're in this battle and that when someone's, there's inner conflict or uh, against government stuff, it's a, it's a spiritual battle. So let's begin to dive in here. Uh, chapter, verse 14. And I, I guess it'd be easiest. Let's go ahead and read all the way through this and then um, we'll, we'll dig in. Stand firm then. If you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So leave it there for just a second. There's six things, as you can count well, that he labels here. One, there's two of these that actually aren't armor, okay? The belt is not technically armor. The, the sword's not technically armor. The, the, the belt is kind of foundational. The sword is weaponry. It's, it's, more, um, it's, it's more of a weapon than it is armor. And so as we begin to talk about these, I, I just want to say that up front to kind of wrap our brains around the foundational principles of truth and the activity and the activeness of the word of God as a weapon in our life. So let's begin to talk about each one of these. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to pull out within our culture some elephants that, that we have and that need to be addressed. And so I'm not giving you one elephant, I'm giving you a bunch of them today. Um, so let's talk about the belt of truth. The belt of truth, um, actually more kind of um, contextually, when they would talk about this, when we think about a belt, a belt holds up our britches, right? Uh, I love to say britches. It makes me sound, uh, I love to say the word britches. Um, it, it holds up our pants. Um, in this time, in a military sense, it kind of actually, they'd wear kind of long, kind of flowing uh, garments. It, it actually kind of, it was the first step to get ready for battle. If a, if a warrior was kind of chilling, like if he was back at camp and he was not engaged, not ready for battle, he'd have his belt undone. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about? Have the belt undone, ready for Thanksgiving, little pop top button. Um, he'd be chilling and he'd have the, the belt undone. It'd just kind of be laying. He was not ready. He was not engaged for battle. He would, he would put the belt on to kind of bring everything closer together and then begin to put the armor on. And Paul is putting truth to that. He's saying it's the belt of truth wrapped around our waist. It's foundational. And the elephant that I really want to point to in our culture in regards to truth is there's the elephant of pluralism. And, and there's many of us in the room, and I'll explain what that is if, for those of you that don't know. But there's many of you, even in the room today, and you claim to, to be a believer, but you also believe there's all these other ways and uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a major elephant. Because the scriptures tell us that there's, there's one way and that Jesus is the truth, the way, uh, and the life. It's the belt of truth it is the, the elephant of pluralism in our life. Pluralism is this. It's that all ways lead to God. That you can have your faith. I can have my faith. I mean, you've heard this on media. Like, and what happens is in this, it's a, it's a philosophically flawed, very flawed ideology. Like even philosophically, very flawed. So it's not a strong argument culturally, but it's like the most common thing that everyone's trying to get you to believe and believe and you're a bigot 
if you have anything that's built on absolute truth. Come on, is anybody having to deal with this? I think we're all having to wrestle with this. Because this is what our culture is saying. And, and it's important, like, there, it is possible for us to hold to absolute truth. It's okay, right? For some of you, like, oh, I feel like I feel drawn to this. Because they're criticizing. Like, the scriptures talk over and over again that we're going to be criticized. That it's going to happen. So, read the word, begin to look at the early church, begin to look at the disciples, persecution happened, and we're just kind of scratching the surface for persecution, okay? So it's possible for us to hang on to absolute truth and walk in the truth of Jesus Christ and still be loving and still be graceful, right? And that's where rubber hits the road, is can we do this and still be a light in the darkness? And if they could do it then, then we can do it now. If and so I think it's a matter for us to really hold to it. Um, John 14, 6 is very plain in its telling. Jesus answered, I'm the way. They were asking about the way to heaven. He's like, I'm the way. You want to know the way? I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me make sure I, I kind of explain pluralism a little more fully for you. Because you probably have to explain it to somebody too. Um, Say Jason up here looks at that wall and he says, bro, that wall is red. And I'm like, it's definitely not red. It'd be super annoying in here. It'd be so bright. Um, and I look at it, I'm like, no, it's blue. It's blue. Well, is the wall blue or red? Well, it's, 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 we all know and we can tell by our eyes, it's, it's like a grayish, taupey, whatever you want to come up with. Come up with your own fancy... Anybody ever want to be like a namer of paint colors? It sounds like the easiest job in the world, just like misty rain, you know, just come up with something random things. Um, here's the thing. We can both be wrong, but we can't both be right. It's the philosophical law of non-contradiction. We can't both be right, especially when I say you're wrong <laughs> and you say we're both right. How can I be right if I'm right, then you're wrong, right? It's the law of non-contradiction. It's, it's a faulty, flawed ideology that our world is, is pressing down our throats. And, it, and it's an elephant that we have to address and we have to be able to give an answer for. And, and, and this kind of, and, and it, it's going to hit, it's going to, like we think it's exploding now and it's happening more. It, it, it's going to become very obvious, even to those that are very much believers in this ideology. It's going to become obvious um, even for them, I believe, if that happens um, sooner um, or if that happens closer to the coming of Christ, whenever that happens, I don't know. Um, but I think it's going to become very obvious when things begin to happen and we're like, wait, if I'm saying that everybody gets to kind of figure out their own way and there's really no absolute truth, then dude here that, you know, his worship to God is killing people, right? How, how can that also be true? I believe that everything's kind of truth. So we've got to have an answer for it. Um, John 14 says he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. We've got to put on that belt, that belt of truth, and keep it on. Remember, the put on is to keep on. Um, so the belt of truth is, is foundational, that, that we realize that we are in a battle. It's not calling you on to the battlefield. You're, you're, you're in the battle. We better have that foundational kind of ideas of who Jesus is, um, as the way, the truth, and the life. Let's continue on. It says the breastplate of righteousness. 
I actually don't see in any, um, uh, you know how you get little footnotes at the bottom of your Bible and they're usually, you know, it helps like some context or if they're quoting a prophet. I, I never see this one quoting a prophet, but I, I really believe that he's quoting the prophet in Isaiah 59. Um, as he says, the breastplate of righteousness. And I believe this is the elephant of performance. Because look at what Isaiah 59 prophesies. It says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate, speaking of Christ prophetically, and the helmet of salvation. We'll look at that one here in a minute. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as, as in a cloak. The breastplate of righteousness and, and is to battle, I believe, this, this elephant of performance. That we can do this. How many of you guys feel like you've gotten more mature in your life? Or you've, you've grown? You've had some tough times. You've had some experiences that's make, made you feel a little bit wiser. Anybody come through something that feel like... It's very easy for us to become proud of our experiences. And what we made it through. I would hope that we're all getting a little better <laughs> each day. I'd hope that we're all getting a little more wiser with every struggle we go through. It's very easy for our experiences to become a prideful place for us where we begin to be really proud of our performance, right? We, I've known some people, I won't call any names, I'm not even thinking of people here, at, at, uh, here in Jacksonville, but uh, there was this one person we knew. And every single time, um, that we'd be around, and we'd be around this person, they would have to bring up something about their accolades. Anybody ever been around somebody like that? Right? It's just a little bit annoying, and after a while, it gets super annoying. Like, okay, we know you're awesome. <laughs> no need to tell us anymore. We get really proud of our performance, and we, we want it to kind of get a pat on the back, and it's very easy for, to get that place but what the law did, some of us wonder, what's the connection between Old Testament and New Testament? Why all these laws leading up to, well, it's all, all pointing to Christ, all setting the foundation for redemption. It was redemption from the very beginning. God came into relationship with man, and it was all the way through. There was a story of faith. There was a story of redemption. But the purpose in that law was to make it very plain to us that, look, there was 514 laws. In, in, Jewish, in Jewish law. I could keep a lot of those, but every single person could not keep, we couldn't keep all of them, you know. And so even in your life, there, there's probably a lot of laws you're really proud of, right? I didn't kill anybody today. <laughs> I haven't cheated on anybody. They haven't stolen anything since I was six, you know. I, we, get, we start to get proud of keeping all these laws, but we, what we have to realize is that we're not keeping all of them. We couldn't, keep, we couldn't keep all of them, and God sent us Jesus. And the prophet here is prophesying that he wore that breastplate of righteousness. He wore, the other place in Romans chapter 14, I think I have this one up there, um, but uh, Paul says in, in Romans to put on Christ. He uses that same word, put on. That this isn't a, this isn't a matter of of your righteousness. This is a matter of putting on Christ because he's the only one that keeps them all. He's the only one fulfilled the law. He didn't even come to tear it down. He came to fulfill it. So when we're fighting that battle to keep all the rules and just realize that it's, it's, it's not happening, he, we put on Christ. When the enemy's lying to us um, uh, about our failures, 
and, and that, that we're no longer good enough, right? Because we messed up, like we're no longer good enough. We speak the truth. We use that breastplate of righteousness. I, I put on Christ. Bro, <laughs> I'm putting on Christ. Um, sorry, you got to drop a bro in every, every once in a while for a little more umph. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. Do you guys not do that? All right, no more bros. I won't do it anymore. Uh, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That one's like the, the, like the most full kind of wordy one. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Josephus, who is like a, a Jewish historian that uh, theologians and scholars really look to because he gives us a really full account of Jewish life and, and it kind of um, emerging and, and what life was like in that time. And we just have huge documents and records of what, what uh, he recorded. He was very thorough in this. And he said that, that um, like shoes, like we're used to like shoes with good grip uh, in our days. But I mean, begin to think about what shoes were like 100 years ago. And then like 500 years ago. And then like, okay, now like 2,000 years ago, what were shoes like? And, and think about maybe on the, the terrain in which warriors would fight battle. It was probably, probably pretty bad shoes. There wasn't great grip. Even sometimes in, in countries around the world now, they don't have shoes. Like they just don't have them. Uh, or, or good ones. And, and just imagine what they were going out with. And he said it was like these thick kind of leather, many times thick leather um, that would have some straps, and then they were kind of studded with like some kind of nails or metal um, on the bottom to give some grip, like kind of a rugged thing to be putting on. And here's what I've found is um, with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's kind of a wordy thing. So let me try to break it down. Maybe I'll do it like this. You ever wear shoes that don't fit you? Right? The ones that are too small, within 15 minutes, you're in pain, like five minutes, like, oh, can't wear those anymore. Uh, I got fat feet, so I know about shoes that won't fit. Like, Nikes don't want to, my feet don't want to fit in Nikes. I love them. They don't like fitting in there because I got fat feet. Um, you ever been in shoes that are too big for you, and you look like Bozo walking around, <laughs> you know? <laughs> got, the, got the big floppy shoes. We went into Bye Bye Baby the other day. It was our first experience in Bye Bye Baby. And... They had this $15 piece of plastic, $15. You could be a competitor, you can make some real good money, just to undercut their prices. It was like a, a little chart for a baby's foot, you know? It was like this piece of plastic they sold for $15 that just was like a, a shoe size chart. I think when it comes down to it, many of the times, we're not kind of fitted in the gospel of peace, it's just kind of loose on us, kind of throwing us around. Um... We're not really fitted into the gospel. We're still regurgitating other people's faith. We're still riding on somebody else's coattails of faith. And like that's good for Facebook quotes, and that's good for appearance sake, right? Because I'm keeping the rules. Everybody thinks I'm really doing this thing. Um, but there's no, there's no readiness. There's no peace kind of flopping around. We can't get comfortable in those big shoes. We can't, and they don't fit. There's this readiness that comes from it really getting down in us. And we become ready to carry the good news. I, I say the elephant of, of pessimism because um, the gospel of peace, the gospel is good news. It's good news. Look at what this scripture says. I believe it's in Isaiah as well. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim 
peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet. That, that scripture just came to mind. Um, you know, when we talk about pessimism and, and this elephant of pessimism, I don't see how you can be a Christian and be pessimistic. I think there's something wrong with that. If you're a pessimist in the house, I'm not beating up on you. But, but I want to I kind of challenge something. Because I found myself going, I'm a, all right, so there's this range. There's the, the optimist, and then there's the realist. I won't have you raise your hands, but you can raise your hand. You can, in your heart, you can raise your hand. There's the optimist, there's the realist, there's the skeptic, and then there's the pessimist. Is that, is that all of them? We're, we're somewhere in that range, right? Um, as Christians, like, I, I'm a skeptic. Like, I'm, I'm a skeptic. I'm a realist. I'm somewhere in there, just like by nature, by my upbringing, by just how the experiences I've, I've been through. I've kind of taken on a very realistic view most of the time. But when I met Jesus, like, it birthed this hope. It birthed this peace and this optimism in me that was not natural to me. It was not what my experience led me. It was not where my experience led me. It, it actually brought me to realize that, man, this is good news. And, and some of us were walking through our lives um, so like down and like pessimistic about everything that's going on. And our, I believe it's because our feet aren't really fitted in a gospel of peace. Like you're settled no matter what happens today. And sometimes we don't realize we're not ready, that we're really not fitted into that until we go through something really tough and we find ourselves, am I really fitted in that? And I think a lot of those experiences, it challenges that and it presses into that to make sure we're fitted in and we're not trying to live off somebody else's peace, off their, their relationship with the Lord, but in a real relationship with ourselves um, in the Lord. Um, and that provides that readiness to be able to declare that, who proclaim peace, who bring good news. We, uh, Paul, Paul said that we're ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're the ones sent out to bring good news. And so I think that's a part of this armor that we prepare ourselves because we find ourselves on real shifty footing when we're out in the battle and we're not really settled down into that real relationship with the Lord, genuine relationship. So I want to challenge you to, to make sure today, talk to the Lord, settle into that real relationship, make sure you're not living on somebody else's coattails or somebody else's faith, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mom, your sister, your pastor, your small group leader. Make sure it, it, you're, you're living the real thing with you and the Lord. Um, and there's a peace that comes from that that no one can take. No one can take. No action, no thing that happens in this world can take. It provides that, that readiness to, to share that good news. So uh, do that today. Uh, feet fitted with the, the gospel of peace. We move from that pessimism into good news. The next thing that, that Paul says is the shield of faith. The shield of faith, uh, which is able to extinguish, extinguish all these flaming arrows. It's like a very vivid imagery right here. Um, and instead of trying to like make an analogy to this, I, I'll let you fill in the blank of the analogy here. What are those flaming arrows that have been coming your way? Right? I mean, the enemy's trying to use something from the past, trying to, trying to stir up doubt, trying to stir up fear, trying to stir up jealousy. There's some arrows that are coming your way, some of them bigger, some of them smaller. 
But what's so powerful about the shield of faith and what Paul says here is to extinguish them. That shield of faith, like we look at the situation, we call a spade a spade, we call sin, sin, we call a lie, a lie. And we activate it. The shield's, you know, the shield's not something that we just kind of, again, passively sit by with. It's extinguishing, right? When, when those arrows hit that shield of faith, they extinguish. So it's exercising that. But so many times we're so passive. We're so passive in our obedience to the Lord. We're, we're so, and, and there's, there's one thing, it's one thing to be passive. It's another thing to wait and hear from the Lord, right? You've probably heard delayed obedience is disobedience. You've probably heard that somewhere. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So there's a difference between being passive and delaying in the obedience and waiting for the right time, in the Lord's time, you know what I'm saying? I feel like some things, even in the church, uh, you know, people wonder, does Pastor Kyle know about this? Do you know about that? How many times I'm just waiting for the Lord, just waiting for the Lord's time and waiting for what God's doing, waiting for when he tells us to do that. And so it's not passivity. So we have to, in our own lives, we have to, to look and what are those flaming arrows coming our way and activate faith right at it uh, and extinguish them. Don't let them continue to, um, to fester James 4 says, submit to the Lord and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil. I, I think that's part of what it is. It's not letting it fester. It's, it's, it's not even giving the, the devil an opportunity with, with the, the arrows that are coming your way. It's extinguishing them right away with truth. But that all starts with a belt, doesn't it? It all starts with being ready for that battle. He goes on. Um, beyond this idea of passivity and that we should be active in this battle. He goes on to talk about the helmet of salvation. Remember Isaiah 59, 17, that this was a, one of the things the prophet spoke, that Jesus put on the helmet of salvation, something that we could not do for ourselves. I love what Paul says, and given a lot of Paul sub, subs here, uh, today, but uh, I love what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five. It's powerful. For though we live in the world and we do not wage as the war does, not only are, are we not going against flesh and blood, we're, we're waging in a different kind of way. Though, but it's so funny. Like in our society right now, we want to, we we want to fight. We want to fight the way they're fighting instead of fighting on the right battlefield in the way that God's called us to. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to de demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's powerful. And we talk about this helmet of salvation. Somebody said it last week. That was part of our storytellers. The battle's won and lost in the mind. We put on Christ, put on that helmet of salvation. We take every thought captive. Before your, your actions and your life begins to spin out of control, maybe with a bondage of sin um, or disobedience towards God, before that happens, there's this kind of this passivity. There's this looseness of the belt that takes place when it comes to truth. There's this passivity in our faith, okay? So when we think that that's kind of just, uh, just okay, know that, that that could be leading somewhere else. So he says, put on this helmet of salvation, and I think this is powerful for us today, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Uh, one of the 
um, foremost kind of preachers of yesteryear was Spurgeon. And he said the purpose of opening the mouth as with the mind is to eventually close it down on something solid. The purpose in opening the mouth as with the mind is to eventually close it down on something solid. It's one thing to open our mind, to grow, to listen, to open our hearts to what God's doing. It's another thing to never close our mouth down on something solid, to never close our hearts down. God, what are you saying to me in this? What does the scriptures affirm about this thought? And we make it obedient to Christ. There may be some thoughts going on in your head of maybe quitting. I'm not talking about faith. I'm talking about life. Like you're just done. You're done fighting. There may be some thoughts like that. There may be some captive thoughts of like I'm, I'm sick of trying. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sick of being around people. And, and I, I believe there's some things that we need to take captive in our thought life today as we put on that helmet of salvation and don't uh, uh, make it obedient to Christ because he put on that helmet of salvation for you and me. He put it on that breastplate of righteousness for you and me. Powerful. Take every thought captive. Um, I, I really believe on this one, it's the, the elephant of pride. The elephant of pride. In our minds, no one, if I asked you how many of you are prideful, no one's going to raise your hand. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is I believe that's a daily journey for every single one of us. There, there are some problems to be solved in our life once and for all. There's other things that are just going to be constant things that we manage and we have to put those to death every single day and make them obedient to Christ. And pride is one that will constantly find itself rising up even in the smallest of ways, even in the smallest of rebellions and non-submission to the Lord, even in the smallest of ways. And we have to make those obedient to Christ and what he, the life of humility that he brings us into. Helmet of salvation. Don't let that pride rise up. Kill that, kill that pride before it takes us down. And finally, he moves away from the armor. These really vivid imagery of armor, and he moves into a weapon. And this is kind of just adds, I feel like, onto everything. Uh, as far as passivity and, and pride and taking every thought captive. And he says, take, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take hold of it. I don't know if you've seen these videos that are um, out there online of the underground church in China. Have you seen any of these videos? There's this video I vividly remember watching of an underground church in China receiving Bibles for the first time. Some of you guys are nodding your head. You've seen this. It's, it's moving. As they receive the word of God for the first time, they weep, they scream, they praise God. They're trembling with so much excitement to have the word of God in their hands. And I just feel like we don't treat it that same way, with that same passion for the practical daily walk with the Lord. I think that's kind of what I want to bring 
with this sword of the Spirit is that there's this elephant of practical passion. And hey, you've been kind of gliding through this Christian life, but when it comes to real passion for the Lord and real passion for the kingdom of God, it's not there. And I'm not here to chastise because I've been there on both of those fronts. Um, but I'll tell you right, I've never been more passionate about the word of God. I've never been more passionate about his church and the mission and purpose that God put me on this planet and all of us for, right? Love and worship God and to love the world, like it's pretty simple. All of us carry that same mission, that same purpose. I've never had more passion for that than what I have today. Because I was, I was honest, I heard this quote this week that said God's more attracted to honesty than he is perfection. That's a good, good quote. And some of us just need to be honest with the Lord and just say, God, I, I'm sick of just kind of rolling through the motions. I'm sick of like opening the scriptures and it just being dead to me because I know they're not dead. Hebrews tells us, look at Hebrews here with me. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, to him to whom we must give an account. And some of us are so passionate or, or so passive in our relationship with the Lord. We're just kind of flowing through the motions. And I believe that God wants to stir up passion in us today. Not just for the church, not just for doing stuff, but passion for being with him. Passion, like just the practical passion of the, of the daily walk with the Lord. Some of us, we don't, we don't, we're not worried about anything spiritual unless it feels spiritual. Right? We're ready to, to conquer the kingdom for the, um, we're ready to conquer the world for the kingdom, but what do, we, what do we do on a daily basis of just being with the Lord? What do we do on a daily basis of really spending time with God and, and letting him prepare us for the things he wants to do in the world? Some of us, it's all, it's all head knowledge and, and you're smart and you know the word, but there's no practical application of what's happening. For those of you that have been going through the James study, James is like real hardcore. He's like, if it's real, you're going to be doing something. It's going to be flowing. And I just want us to have some honest conversations with the Lord to say, God, stir something up in me, a flame that won't be extinguished. God, stir something up in me of not just for doing and like conquering the world. He cares more about being with you than what you're going to do for him. And that doesn't discount us from like getting out there and doing something like <laughs> being a part of the mission of God and purposes of God. But, but we're just floating through, many of us. And my prayer today is that God would just stir something up in us. Uh, let, let, me, let me close. Um, a couple weeks ago, God, <laughs> I grew up in church and I grew up in uh, charismatic movement and, um, and I, I, love, I love my upbringing. God just like, stirred a fire, as you can see this morning. He stirred a passion for his presence and worship and, uh, and mission. Like that, that's something that, that's just birthed out of that movement. I really believe in a powerful way. 
And, um, but there were these things called revivals that happen in churches. You've probably been to many revivals. I just always thought that was really weird. I'm like, isn't the church alive? What you got to revive the church for? Someone, I, I get calls from people like, hey, you, you want me to come in and do a revival? I'm like, I think my church is alive. <laughs> um, and so I've just always been a little bit jaded towards that term, probably more than anything. And, and there's, again, don't. But lately, like, my prayer this year, and I don't know why, other than God's wanting to stir something up in us, and that some of us are just kind of f- flowing through and, like, really need revival in our spirit. And I just began, began to be a prayer for my heart um, the past couple months. And in one particular week, probably two, three weeks ago, in 24 hours, I was just talking to leaders in our church. And I'm like, what's on your heart? Like, what, what you praying about? And I had multiple people, like, within 24-hour periods say, like, revival, I'm just praying for it. Just praying for it. I, Taryn and I were at a, a church, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama, for a leadership conference this past week. Church had 66,000 people there at Easter. 66,000 people. Anybody else hear that? Um, and you begin to just interact with the people, and you begin to just feel the presence of the house. I don't know if that makes sense to you. If you're, you're discerning, you probably know what I'm talking about. And begin to, I was talking with a pastor friend of mine, and we are just kind of smiling, just kind of laughing that this church is like planting campuses, and people are coming to Christ all over the state of Alabama. They're like fed into the prison system in Alabama. Like, they're like churches in the prison system that they go to their church. And every single Sunday, the pastor goes, if you're in prison, we're glad to have you here. Welcome home. You know, I don't know if he says welcome home. But that's what I would say. Um, but I was talking with my pastor friend about it. And I'm like, is this what revival, like, looks like in our modern era? Just, like, in 10 or 15 years to go from, you know, a small, like, lead team to 66,000 people hearing the gospel of Jesus preached in this past Easter. Is that what revival? And my prayer for us today is, God, I don't care what it looks like. It'll be far different than what somebody else's ministry looks like. And I, cause I, don't, and I don't care. I just, I want you to stir something up in us that's real. I want you to stir something up. A passion to just be with you, Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand and just bow your heads with me. And um, I probably got off on a couple tangents there, but you can see where my heart's at. And that I, I believe that God wants to break the spirit of passivity. I, I believe he wants to, to break the spirit of religion. And God wants to inspire. He wants his Holy Spirit to fill us up and inspire us to be with him this morning. These guys are just going to continue to lead us in worship and declare who he is today. Man, I just want you to have that prayer. Like, I can't give you my passion. I can't have Paul's passion for the kingdom. I can't have my pastor's. I can't have my friend's passion. And... My feet don't fit in their shoes, but God, fit our feet today with the gospel. Stir up the gifts within us, God. God, I pray for this house today. I pray for these people, God, that we would no longer passively 
just kind of flow through, God, because we know the enemy will just work in those times, that the truth is not something that comes and goes, but you are, you were, and you are to come, God. You're the same. You're the same, God. God, I pray that you just open our hearts and you just fill us up. Just fill us up, God. Give us a passion for the word of God that's sharper than every two-edged sword. God, help us to find ourselves holy in Christ today. Is my prayer, God. Give us a passion for your name. Give us a passion for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray.